You've turned your dial to the Fear Frequency, a weekly horror podcast. My name is Jimmy Champagne, and I'll be your host for tonight's episode. And joining me, as always, is my co-host, my friend, my anchor, George Frisard. How's it going, dude? Good, man. What's up? Uh, not a whole lot. I thought we were going to have trouble finding news after we recorded on Tuesday last week, but there's actually some pretty cool stuff out there this week. Um, I found some cool things. I'm really surprised, honestly. Yeah, uh, usually we get like a dry week around now, but it's cool that there's still solid stream of stuff coming out. Yeah, there's some weird stuff, and uh, but you know, even though Halloween is done filming, I was still able to find some Halloween news to talk about. There we go. Uh, so Throw up we'll, the Halloween we'll alert. We'll kick the show off right away with some great, great Halloween news. It's actually not that great, honestly. Uh, so, <laughs> Halloween Daily News, we discovered it last week because of the 40th anniversary event they're going to be throwing, and they obviously have to dig deep as we do because, you know, the movie's done filming, there's not a lot of news coming out of it. Get Out is back on people's minds because it won an Oscar, so, you know, bear with us here, but basically... Bloody Flicks, which is from the UK, they are releasing a documentary this year to celebrate the 40th anniversary of Halloween called For the Love of the Boogeyman, which, uh, you know, not a great title. It's directed by Paul Downey, and the description is, bringing together some of the brightest voices from independent horror, we will explore what makes the film so special. From the music, the mask, to Michael Myers, everyone has their own take on Halloween, and why it is the blueprint for slasher horror, and in our humble opinion, has never been bettered. The teaser features brief clips of a number of indie filmmakers. They have PJ Starks, uh, Nathan Thomas Milner, Daniel Mark Young, James Plum, and James Morrissey to talk about the landmark film. So, I don't know any of these people. The trailer looked okay. Like, the quality, it's not really there. Like, Bloody Flicks, whatever that is, like, the, their trailer just has a square PNG as their, like, little ad for themselves. You know, like, the thing that goes before the trailer, like, the production right. company thing. It's a very low-res PNG. The audio... It's not good. It's very bad audio. It sounds like they're using the on-camera audio. But, like, hey, maybe maybe we'll get some new tidbits. This is, like, a fan documentary, though. It doesn't sound like they've got anyone who actually worked on the film, which is a little disappointing. Yeah, it sounds kind of like just a way for indie horror directors or people involved in the industry to talk about this movie. Yeah. Which is, like, you know, I always like to hear about Halloween. I think it's a good movie, but at the same time, I don't think that someone who's not involved with it would have something more interesting to say than like a normal person like <laughs> if i'm watching a documentary on the movie i'd prefer to have people who are actually involved with it yeah. talking about it you know what i mean i feel like at this point 40 years later there's not really much more to be said on the original halloween that like other like there's fan stuff this is a fan film it's not really a documentary i really wouldn't call it a documentary actually i feel obviously they're just trying to capitalize on <laughs> the 40th yeah. anniversary of the movie yeah, but i don't know it just it doesn't seem very good i just yeah. really wanted to get a halloween alert in here I'm gonna be <laughs> yeah i mean i don't really have any high hopes for this like i wouldn't really want to pay like any money to see this like i wouldn't you know rent this or anything because it seems like fairly low budget like if it was on youtube or something i'd watch it but if i'm actually watching a documentary on halloween i'd prefer to have people who were on the set talking about it. I know they had a documentary. I'm blanking on the name right now, but it's something... It's like 25 Years of Terror or something. Yeah, 25 right? Years of Terror, something like that. I don't even... It might have been on, like, History Channel, if I'm correct. Yeah. 
and it had like John Carpenter and Rob Zombie and uh, like some of the original cast. I don't I don't remember if Jamie Lee Curtis was in it or not. I don't think so, but uh, I I just feel like in general, if you're gonna talk about a movie, it's better to have the people who are actually involved with it than yeah. just people who are fans of it. And so, if they've already done that documentary with all these people that were involved with it. Yeah, so it, it feels know. kind of redundant at this point, and, like, you know, it, it it's almost like it just wants people to talk about the movie, and, like, I know we talk about Halloween all the time, but I wouldn't, like, produce a documentary about it. Right, we talk about Halloween in our weekly podcast, and we both love Halloween, and we're really excited for the new movie, but we're not about to, like, go get funding and make make it into a film. Like, we're not trying to make an hour and a half long feature about why we like Halloween. You know? <laughs> right. Like, I would just be like, go watch the movie, because I'm not going to yeah. say anything that, like, will convince you other than what the movie will do. You know what I mean? Yeah. But it's nice to see a perspective from over the pond, and I might even check it out, you know, if it tickles me right when it releases this fall. But yeah, speaking of John Carpenter, we have some more news related to The Stranger's Prey at Night, which comes out this week, and I am super excited for it. I get to check it out early on Wednesday, but Bloody Disgusting has an interview with Johannes Roberts, who's the director, and he says that John Carpenter, you know, inspired Prey at Night, which is kind of cool. I mean, everyone is obviously inspired by John Carpenter in some way, I feel, if you're making a horror movie. At least you probably should be, but... Uh, nonetheless, he says he's inspired by Christine and the Fog, which are two really good movies. Yeah, I mean, those are two good ones to pick, but yeah. I feel like the the big one you should note for a slasher movie would be, you know, either The Thing or Halloween. Yeah, I mean, I just, I really, I'm excited for this movie because it's almost been... Honest, actually, I think it's been 10 years on it since we have The Strangers, you know, like since we saw the first Strangers movie. Yeah. I want the series to be a thing, and it looks good. It looks really good, actually. Uh, I think it's pretty cool that they shot it in Kentucky, and there's this whole weird story about it where, like, there's an airport in Kentucky that bought out this whole neighborhood and all the people except for two houses are vacant now like all the houses so they basically cleared it out and made a trailer park for the movie and i i got some more plot details out of this like the family rented a trailer but since the summer is over all these people have left for the winter or the fall so it's like an empty trailer park and you'll get to see inside a bunch of different trailers in the movie which i think is really cool the problem is johannes roberts just doesn't really direct good movies 47 meters down is fun but i wouldn't call it good and he also did the other side of the door which is terrible so while there is some great shot work in the trailer for the stranger prey at night i just don't i don't want to get too excited until i see it yeah i'm pretty hesitantly optimistic about it i know you and i both talked about how much we like the the original movie just you know the original the strangers yeah and I mean, obviously, we both want it to be good. We want, like, this series to be something that's interesting and something that people want to go see. And, I mean, I'm, like, kind of excited for it. The trailer didn't really blow me away. Mm-hmm. but I actually really like the trailer. I like the music in it. Um, I like the shot in the pool with the neon, you know, palm trees and stuff. And with the axe dragging on the ground. And that, that part... Um, when the girl's in the concrete tube or, like, tunnel I, thing. I do like that. Then the doll face, doll face girl comes out, pinup girl or whatever. That was really cool. That's kind of, like, uh, similar to the scene from Halloween 1 where, like, 
Jamie Lee Curtis is standing in the hallway and you slowly mm-hmm. see uh, the shape's face kind of come out of the shadows. Yeah, it reminds me of uh, that shot in It Follows, too, when the really tall guy with the blacked out eyes, when it looks like that, yeah. comes to the door and he like stands up and he's super tall. Yeah. It reminded me of that, too. And that's like, that I, That part, I, it really creeps me out. I think about it a lot. That shot and then the one with the naked dude standing on the roof are two of the ones I think about a lot. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, obviously, I want the movie to be good. I'm cautiously optimistic about it. I do want the Strangers series to grow, and I, mm-hmm. I, I liked all the kind of promotion leading up to this movie. I thought oh, it's that, been great. Yeah, I thought that the early kind of very short teasers were interesting. Uh, that website that we talked about like weeks ago, where you could sign up and you could put in like your phone number and your email and all Did that. Did you do that? Uh, I did, and it's like, they just send They've you been really... sending you stuff, right? Yeah, they just send you really creepy, like, texts and emails, like, that are kind of, like, decrypted, and you click on links, and it just sends you to, like, shorter, like, teaser trailers and stuff, and cool. redirects you back to the website, but I think the website's designed really well. I think that all that kind of st- strange social media marketing is all really cool, so... I mean, the only thing that's really pointing me in, like, a negative direction is I didn't think the trailer was that impressive, and the director hasn't really done anything that blew me away at all. So, I mean, maybe this is him coming out of his shell. I mean, obviously, you know, director can't be judged by just one or two movies, and sometimes it takes a couple before they kind of hit their strides. So, hopefully this movie's good. Uh, I I am looking forward to it, and I'm I'm definitely going to go see it next weekend. Yeah, but going back to what he had to say about Christine, he said, It's possibly my favorite movie, he told Bloody Disgusting. It's certainly one of my favorites. Visually, I think it's incredible. It was just something I really wanted to play around with, but it was something when I met the truck for the first time in real life, I was like, yeah, there's something about the Ford 100. It's just a great looking car, and I thought, fuck, this is going to be an amazing character in the movie. There's something creepy about empty cars with the radios playing cars in silhouette. It just became this character in its own right just became really fun to play around with that so yeah that's talking about that ford truck in the trailer and we see yeah like the 16 wheeler in it yeah so i don't know that could be cool i christine is a good you know inspiration for yeah. anything i mean obviously like this. yeah I and mean, it's not a bad thing and I, I i mean the truck was even kind of a big deal in the first movie you mm-hmm. know they had the kind of creepy car playing the music outside the house And I could see them obviously adapting that or kind of making that one of the, like, calling cards, I guess, for these killers. Where, you know, they show up to the door and you're like, actually, I don't know you. And then they start playing creepy music around your house and try to bust in. And, I mean, really the premise is, as long as I stick to that idea of the first Strangers where the only reason that you're targeted is because you're home at that point in time when they're just looking to kill somebody, I think that premise is creepy enough to propel a movie in and of itself yeah i'm glad that the location also is different enough too so it's not just going to be a remake yeah exactly exactly yeah so that's the strangers news for this week we'll have a review of the movie next week on the show um so next up is really exciting news that's also really surprising uh bethesda seems to be teasing dlc for last year's prey game which sold about uh 10 copies and I have Roughly. one of them. Yeah, we each have one of them. So maybe it sold like 11 copies. I don't know. <laughs> but Bethesda tweeted uh, a couple days ago. It was this. It's a GIF uh, from the Transtar station 
looking down at the moon. And multiple times in the game, they do reference a lunar colony. And the tweet says, do we really know what's out there? So I really, I like, why would, why would they be teasing anything if it wasn't going to be more content for this game? And it would be just like they did last year with uh, Dishonored Death of the Outsider. Dishonored 2 didn't sell very well at all. I don't think it sold as poorly as Prey did, but it didn't sell well. And then they released a $30 standalone expansion for that. So hopefully... Uh, we're getting that for Prey. I would be really excited. That was one of my favorite games last year. Yeah, I haven't had a chance to dive too deep into it yet, but I think it'd be really interesting to have a moon-based expansion for that game. Yeah. I think that's such a great setting to isolate the main character. Like, you, you know, you're on an escape pod or whatever, and you land on the moon, and now you're alone on an alien planet where they can have anything that they want happen on it. You know, it's such a cool setting that I think the only other game I've seen take place on the moon, well, Final Fantasy IV a long time ago, but also um, Borderlands, the pre-sequel, mm-hmm. but they kind of cool. they kind of messed that up, though, because they had those uh, the oxygen tank mechanic where you had to, like, pick up air along the way. Oh, yeah, that was terrible. Why yeah, they, so it yeah, made the whole... It made the whole game basically an underwater level because you had to keep Ugh. watching your like air meter and go get more air as you played, which was annoying. But that's <laughs> beside the point. Uh, I think this this is a definitely a cool setting for this game, and you could see where the story would take it on the moon. You know, one of the like mimic creatures somehow makes it on the moon, and you have to go hunt it down on there or see how it is going to react with the environment in a totally yeah. isolated setting. And I just think there's cool, interesting ways that they can play with uh, a planet that has nothing else there. You know what I mean? Yeah, and also they teased, uh, they created a Twitter for the company Chasmacorp, which is the rival company to Transtar in the game. And they've been tweeting like blueprint images. They tweeted two now, but one of them shows this thing called the Psy Cutter, which isn't in Prey, but it's like a laser sword kind of, and it's cutting up a Typhon. So. I think it could be something like um, Jurassic World, where it's another company, like the Casmacorp uh, colony might be on the moon. You know, like you might be someone else working for Casmacorp rather than Morgan Yu. And I want to spoil the ending of Prey, but I don't think this will take place after Prey, based on the ending. I think this will be like either a prequel to it or concurrent with the story of the game. It's pretty cool. I'm really excited though. I, I mean. I feel like it's a safe bet to assume that this is what they're teasing and like this is what they're going to reveal at E3. It just yeah. it's a cool thing. Yeah. I I mean it's either that or a completely new IP which would be kind of outrageous. So it's probably some prey uh content. But yeah. I, I think like you said Oh no, it is con- prey cuz they show Transstar in the in the gif. Okay. Like, yeah. For sure it's prey. Yeah. So like you said, I think a concurrent story to the main campaign and prey would be kind of interesting. Yeah where you could maybe see some of the events that happened through the main story, but from a different perspective, I always think that's kind of cool when they do that in games. Yeah, that's what they did with the Dishonored one. Yeah. Like, you so, played as the Billy whatever her name was. Yeah. So I think there's definitely some cool avenues they can take with this DLC, and, I mean, hopefully people buy it this time, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I hope so, because I really like that game. It's weird, though, that they they haven't really updated it since it came out and I hope they do because I played it on the one X and there was no patch at all. 
which is kind of annoying. And it's a CryEngine 3 game, so it has the potential to look really good. And playing like a game like that, where it's kind of like Bioshocky, where it's this whole wood paneled, like super 70s look, but you're in space, like that would look great in 4K and HDR and stuff. So hopefully they like go back and update the game also, in addition to releasing an expansion. That would really be awesome. I'd totally do a new game plus. Yeah, it'd be nice to see a little extra attention to detail for that series. If I mean, if they don't go back and patch the original game, if they just kind of take the new expansion and treat it as if it's a standalone from the ground up and kind of build it in, you know, very HD textures and, you know, more attention to detail, basically. Yeah, so uh, either way, I'm excited. They're obviously teasing something, so that's good, because I thought that game was just dead. Uh, so <laughs> next up... Corin Hardy, so before he even started working on The Nun, he was talking about how he really wanted to reboot The Crow, and way early on, Jason Momoa was supposedly going to be playing uh, Eric Draven, and it kind of went away after he started working on The Nun, which makes sense because he's working on a different movie, but out of nowhere, Sony announced that he's back, he's working on it, that the rumors of uh, Jason Momoa playing Eric Draven, they seem like they're going to be way more true, and the movie comes out on October 11th. 2019 that's awesome dude i the corin hardy is just so cool obviously i haven't seen the nun it did get pushed back to september which is kind of like worrying but still it's pretty dope that we're getting um you know a reboot of the crow yeah i mean that seems like a quick turnaround from like having no news about it to it's coming out in right you know a year and a half so (laughs) i mean hopefully they've started production on it and I mean, I assume that they at least have pre-production, they have a script ready and all that stuff. Yeah, because they were working on it for a little while before he even started working on The Nun. So, And it was him still attached. Like, he was attached, and then he did The Nun, but then they didn't move on without him, which is good. Yeah, and I think Jason Momoa is a good, you know, addition to the team. I think that he can obviously play, like, kind of a more, like, intimidating, kind of anti-hero, you know, character... He's mm-hmm. obviously huge and he's jacked, so he could play that, and I think he kind of has a look for it. So I'm interested in this. I mean, I'm not like really a huge fan of the original Crow movie, but yeah, I think it's fine. I I would like to see something that's more like the comics, and that's what this is supposed to be. And like already, I think uh, you know Jason Momoa would do the character pretty good justice. Yeah, I feel like he's definitely a really good cast. Um, Obviously, we don't have any more details than that, but I'm more interested in this than I thought I would be for a Crow Mm -hmm. remake. Yeah, so hopefully The Nun is good and we can be excited for this, because if The Nun sucks, then he's got like a 50% success rate (laughs) on feature films, and that's not good. Well, uh, I mean, the only other like pretty bad movie in the Conjuring universe is Annabelle Annabelle 1, so hopefully he doesn't add to that. I hope not. But you never know. With you never that, know. You're right. These Conjuring spinoffs. So next up, this one's really cool. Uh, so we announced like earlier, we didn't announce it. We talked about it at the beginning of the year. I think the A24 had like a bunch of untitled horror movie coming. Yeah. Horror movies mm-hmm. coming out this year. And it turns out one of them is uh, the follow-up to It Follows. And it's called Under the Silver Lake. And it comes out on June 22nd. So that's really soon. It's getting a limited release, though, and that's kind of weird because that's really close to when Hereditary comes out. So David Robert Mitchell is the director, and it stars Andrew Garfield and co-stars Topher Grace. 
<laughs> but, which is weird. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Disaster Piece is doing the soundtrack again, which is awesome. And a short description that we got says, The film centers on a man who becomes obsessed with the strange circumstances of a billionaire mogul's murder and the kidnapping of a girl. That sounds cool. Uh, Silver Lake's a cool area. My friend used to live over there. Yeah, I mean, that's like what kind of southern or like middle California? It's right. It's in L.A. It's like uh, East L.A. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a cool setting and... I mean, they even, they did so much, and it follows with the Michigan setting, like the kind of Midwest. Yeah, I kind of wish he stayed in Michigan. Like, I don't know. I mean, I, I feel, I agree with you where we don't get enough Midwest movies in yeah. general, and I kind of miss the feel of that, especially in horror. I feel like that's the perfect setting, so I don't know why more movies aren't set, like, in this kind of setting, but, uh, I mean, California's a good setting, too, and... It sounds like the cast is pretty good. I'm a little unsettled by how, uh, like, quickly it came out of nowhere. Yeah. I mean, they've been working on it a long time. Yeah, uh, but, I mean... Yeah, it, it was, it's been done for a little while. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, that's fine. But it just feels yeah. like, <laughs> you know, no one even knows about it. And then it's like, yep, it's already done. It's coming out. But, I mean, maybe that's just A24 style. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't know. It's weird. It's coming out in New York and Los Angeles on June 22nd. Then it'll have a nationwide expansion. I just think... Let me look up the hereditary release date. Because I think it's really close to that. I think I do think you're right. I think it's like pretty... Like within a couple of weeks even. Like two or three weeks. Yeah, June 8th. That's like super close. I mean, it's not going to cannibalize it. You know, like they're... Horror movies, like, they're not releasing on the same day. They're just releasing in the same month. It's still just a weird choice for one studio to release in the same month, though. Yeah, and I don't know. I mean, I know Hereditary hasn't gotten huge uh, buzz around it so far. And yeah. maybe they're kind of just betting on Hereditary being the big cash cow. And then... Yeah, maybe and once... people being like, oh, we already get to see an A24 movie after how awesome Hereditary is? Wow, Exa- that's cool. Yeah, exactly. Like, maybe they're just hoping this will kind of grab on the coattails of hereditary once people see it uh-huh. but because it's been a while since it follows i think that was 2014 it's been four years like i think two years would have been the time to release this movie you know i feel like four years is long enough to where i think they need that little push from hereditary like because it follows is great but like there's a there's a whole subsect of people out there who just love to tweet about how boring it is and you know, like, as time goes on, the people who will defend it will get sick of that, and they'll stop defending it. So, four years is a long time, so it's probably good that it's coming out close to Hereditary, if yeah. Hereditary's good. Yeah. And, I mean, I haven't heard about a big A24 horror movie in a while. I think the last one that had kind of big news around it was probably, honestly, It Follows. I mean, Ghost Story wasn't really a horror movie. It comes at night is like a thriller yeah it comes at night is kind of horror uh disaster artist is obviously obviously a comedy that wasn't yeah. really like a big horror release the witch was a while ago too i think that was like 2015 or 2016 even yeah the witch was big so i don't know i feel like they haven't had like a big hit in a while and hereditary yeah. sounds like that's going to be the big one for them again to kind of put them back on the map so uh, obviously uh, I'm, we're both big fans of It Follows, and the more things in that universe, I think the more, you know, we're obviously in for that, so I'm excited to see this, for sure. Me too, but the next story, 
good news, we have some Stephen King uh, Castle Rock news. Bad news, they're having a character from last year's It movie join the show again to not play that character. So Chosen Jacobs, who played Mike in the It movie last year, has joined the show, and he's playing Wendell Deaver, who's the son of Andre Holland's Henry Deaver. And Andre Holland is uh, the main character in the show, so this guy's playing his kid. It's just, it's so stupid. (laughs) Like, why? It's just dumb. Yeah, I, I know we've said this before, but it, it just, it's so strange. It's like, it's not even funny anymore. Like, I get it if you picked, like, two or three actors and you were like, well, they're just good actors, so we want them to be in the show. Sure, that's fine. I get that you want to use good actors in your show, obviously. But when you are, at this point, hand-selecting characters, actors that were characters in Stephen King movies to cast them in a Stephen King show and not be the character that they were playing in the last iteration of Stephen King you saw them in. It's just confusing and dumb. Yeah, it is confusing. Especially when there's so many. Like, if it was just Bill Skarsgård, right, and he's in Shawshank Prison, you can be like, oh, that's definitely not him playing Pennywise. But if you see Bill Skarsgård, and then you see this kid, because he's pretty prominent, he comes in the movie in the back half, but you like, you know who he is. It's, it is confusing. And then to see, you know, Sissy Spickick playing not Carrie, it's just, it's pointless. It's annoying. I don't know. It's just, it's stupid. <laughs> it feels like, almost like a tasteless nod. Like, it's like, yes, we know what we're doing, but we're going to yeah. do it dumber than you want us to do it. And I'm like pretty salty on Bad Robot after uh, the Cloverfield Paradox. It's just like, I went from thinking J.J. Abrams was really cool to like, thinking he's kind of pretentious because of the Cloverfield Paradox and how they, like, just, like, how they're doing that franchise. So, I don't know. I, I think I might be a little too salty on this, but it, it is just, it's like playing chicken with your audience, you know, by casting this many characters as not uh, the characters they play in other Stephen King movies and then making it look like people are stupid for thinking that they are. Yeah, I, I, I don't understand the reason for it, and... <laughs> I mean, like, this is obviously a stretch, but unless they're, like, picking all these actors and they're going to have them play the characters from the, from the like, adaptations that we know them as, but they just don't want to say it before the show comes out so that it's, like, a bigger reveal when it turns out yeah. that, you know, Bill Skarsgård is actually Pennywise Whoa. and, you know, this kid is actually Mike. But I, I honestly doubt that that's what's going to happen even though that's what they should do, and this just seems like a stupid kind of way to play with the hearts of the people who are going to watch this show. Yeah, so hopefully it's good. I don't know. We haven't gotten a trailer that actually gives away any plot, you know? like So for all we know, it could be like what you just said, but I don't think it will be because uh, the this kid's playing, you know, um, he's playing the main character's kid. And the main character, Andre Holland, hasn't shown up in any Stephen King stuff. Yeah. So, so who knows? Yeah. I guess this one kind of... Like, if it was just this guy, it would make sense, because he's not obviously coming back for It Chapter 2, because that's going to be the adult story. But, I don't know. But the fact there's, like, three or four other Stephen King act, you know, <laughs> adaptation actors in the show not playing their adaptation characters is just weird. It just doesn't feel right. Feels like there's something that they're hiding from us or trying to pull the wool over our eyes in some way. 
Right, and then it'll be just like the monster at the end of Cloverfield Paradox. Oh it's like the most like surface level, <laughs> bare minimum <laughs> inclusion you could ever have. I like if that's what's going on, I'm gonna be pissed. But yeah, I wouldn't be uh, happy about that either. And then for those people who don't know, Castle Rock first appeared in Stephen King's 1979 novel, The Dead Zone, which is the inspiration for our podcast's art. And it reappeared in Dr. Sleep, which we've talked about multiple times. It appeared in the 2014 novel Revival. And it's taken from a fictional mountain fort of the same name in the 1954 novel Lord of the Flies. Cujo, The Dark Hall, Needful Things, and Creepshow, The Stand, Sleepwalkers, Gerald's Game, and It, they all reference the town. So it's like, it's a thing, but I don't know. I felt like that was confusing, like what Castle Rock was. So I figured I'd put that in there. Yeah, it's basically just a central town that usually is kind of offhandedly referenced in Stephen King novels. Alright, so our last news story this week is that the director of Dope, which came out in 2015, Rick Famuyiwa, I think that's how you say it, I'm sorry if I messed it up, he's directing an adaptation of the graphic novel Black Hole. Someone showed me this graphic novel once, I don't remember who, but I distinctly remember, oh, it was my, it was my professor in college. One of my professors named Rob, who was awesome, showed me this graphic novel in college and I bought it and I never read it. But now I'm going to read it because it sounds really cool. It's set in the Pacific Northwest during the 1970s and it follows a group of high schoolers who contra- and it follows a group of high schoolers who contract a mysterious apparently sexually transmitted disease known as the bug and it causes them to mutate and the community kind of deals with it. It looked really cool. I was just really busy at the time, so I didn't read it. And I think it's awesome that they're turning it into a movie. Yeah, I mean, that sounds cool to me. It sounds kind of like uh, X-Men meets the, um, like, It Follows, kind of, where there's an STD in a way that is affecting all the people in the town, but it is kind of more serious than just a ghost falling around till it kills you. So yeah. it sounds cool. Like... And I don't know. Like, it seems like definitely something interesting to me. Yeah, the cover I, is sweet. That's, yeah. That's what turned me on to it, other than my teacher showing me. Like, that's why I wanted to buy it, because the cover was so cool. Yeah, and that's, I mean, the graphic novel sounds cool, too. So maybe I'll check this out before the, the adaptation. Yeah, I'm going to read it. Uh, but anyways, David Fincher was signed on to do this originally, which is like a bummer that he left. Yeah, but, uh, I mean that would have been insane uh, if he got David Fincher for this. You know, I know. Not 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 to discount Rick Famuyiwa in any way, because you know, like Dope's a good movie. He's directed some cool stuff, and he'll probably bring some really cool, um, like some of his own brand, that personal to flair to it in some way. Yeah. That... So hopefully it's good. I mean, I'm I'm excited. I want to read it now. It made me want to read it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, at least he's a good director in his own right. I mean, he's, David Fincher's obviously more, I guess, accomplished in a way. He has more movies under yeah, his David belt. Yeah, David Fincher's iconic. You know, it's different. Right. It's a it's a different different yeah. ball game. But I think uh, you know he's iconic in his own way with Dope. I think a lot of people really like that movie, and I'm I'm excited to see what kind of personal flair he brings to this adaptation. Yeah. So this one's just like it just got announced. So you know, like it's probably going to take a while to come out, but. Uh, hopefully it inspires you to go read the graphic novel like it inspired me. So before we uh, wrap up segment one, I have a creature feature this week. Our friend Trevor Henderson, who does some really cool art on Twitter, you've probably seen it before, he just started a podcast called 
Leading Rainbow Book Club, and every month they read a book and then talk about it for uh, at length, like two or three hours. And their first one was a book we've talked about before on the show, uh, My Best Friend's Exorcism, which is a super good book. It's like a two-hour read, and their podcast is uh, pretty good. Um, they, he listens to our podcast, so I figured I'd give them a shout out. You should definitely go check that out. All right, we're back from our quick break, and this week we are talking about Veronica, which if you probably haven't heard of it, it's a Spanish film, but what makes it notable is that it's directed by Paco Plaza, who directed Wreck, which is a super good found footage movie. It just popped up on Netflix, and the plot synopsis is, it takes place in Madrid in 1991. A teen girl finds herself besieged by an evil supernatural force after she plays a Ouija with two classmates. It stars Sandra Escancina as veronica the title character and that is the only name you're gonna hear from me uh because i can't read any of these names but uh so i was pretty excited to check this out and honestly i think i I think it's a like extremely overrated and b just like pretty disappointing overall yeah i was kind of turned on to this movie because it had a huge social media presence where i was seeing a ton of people tweet and talk about it on instagram where they were like this movie is so scary i had to turn it off halfway through i couldn't you know i couldn't watch the whole thing i had to leave the room i couldn't i had to close my eyes through half the movie so i was like whoa oh my god really yeah honestly i saw these there was articles about this how this is like the next big like terrifying movie like this is like basically the next paranormal activity and i was like whoa like, okay. I well, text, I guess we should start out with the good out. then, because I'm sure we have a lot of bad to talk about. <laughs> we'll start with the good. The the actual like Ouija seance is pretty cool. I think that part is done well. It's kind of weird. There's some lost in translation stuff going on with this, like where I agree. I'm we're both fine watching foreign language movies. Yeah. We've reviewed enough of them on the show, but it's just it's just kind of it's weird. It doesn't really work in a lot of this movie with the Ouija board thing, but the demon itself looks really cool. It's her dad at one point cause her dad's dead, but then it's this like black suit that like terrorizes her throughout the film. And it kind of looks like the molded from resident evil seven in a way. I thought that was kind of cool. Did you think they were cool? Yeah. I mean, I liked the demon. I thought that there's scenes where basically only Veronica can see the demon where she's in her home in Madrid and her she's kind of trying to protect her family her brothers and sisters from it because the veronica is basically takes the role as the parent for the household her mom works at nights and so veronica gets up earliest in the morning makes all the kids breakfast and gets everyone off to school and she's kind of the de facto parent for the household so just i thought that was kind of interesting dynamic where you know it starts by showing her as such a strong and you know, kind of interesting character is like leader of yeah, the household. Yeah, I actually like that a lot too. And then they they cool. kind of flip it on its ear where she becomes basically powerless to this demon that is haunting her. And it, it kind of is a cool way to kind of flip that character on its ear. And I like that personally. Yeah, so 
there's also another cool character that like once she's possessed she goes to a catholic school so there's this lady that they call hermana muerte yeah sister death yeah sister death and that character is so cool she's sister like this death old is awesome. blind woman who chain smokes and like she cut her eyes out because she saw demons yeah and she's her advice is seriously like protect your siblings because you're fucked like yes. you're an idiot for doing this she's like well you did something bad so you better figure out how to close the wheezy board portal because i did the same thing and i was i was seeing demons also so i blinded myself and guess what it didn't help i still see them so figure something fucked. out yourself <laughs> Yeah, so, and then aesthetically the movie looks pretty good, but that, like, this will transition me into talking about the bad stuff, I guess, because if this movie was set in the 80s, aesthetically it would be awesome, because everything about it feels like the 80s, but then they just decided to set it in 1991, which doesn't make any goddamn sense to me. Well, I think because they were trying to line it up with the, it's based, it's like pseudo-based on a true story. Yeah. And that you know, the events of the true story happened in 1991, where right. this girl, Victoria, you know, Victoria s- somehow became Veronica. Victoria. So the title of the movie. Sorry. I'm dumb, <laughs> but. Vero. Anyway, yeah. The new so, social media platform and also the main character of this movie. <laughs> but there was a real person who did, you know, they don't know what happened to her, if she got possessed or what, but her family members said she started acting weird and they have a couple scenes during the credits where they show uh like pictures from the crime scene of the real event yeah and they and did I, a good job recreating they that. did an incredible job recreating the apartment and the setting because it looked identical to the actual <laughs> crime scene photos so you gotta give them credit did. there for sure give them props for that all right but then the the soundtrack is a synthwave entirely and it is so 80s it sounds like stock music also which is kind of bad like it's it doesn't match the movie in any way and it totally gives it an 80s vibe when it's not set in the 80s which is bad yeah there are definitely parts of this movie that show its budget more than it should um i i think one of the big ways that it shows its budget is just that they have a lot of long scenes where nothing happens dude i was just gonna say there's transitions (laughs) that are just pointless and they repeat the the school that she goes to admittedly is pretty creepy looking and then the courtyard is shaped like a cross and they constantly cut to this shot looking up of the courtyard being shaped like a cross it's like why are you trying to fill out the runtime when this movie already feels long it, like, it felt really long to me to begin with, and then they do these dumb transitions like that that are so unnecessary. Yeah, there's a lot of parts of it that feel like it's just padding for time just to fill out the yeah. runtime of the movie, basically. And I, and even when the tension kind of ramps up, ramps up and you start to see the ghost and you start to kind of see the events of the demon chasing her play out i i didn't even think those were that scary personally no i didn't either there's a really cool part where you see the shadow of it walking behind some frosted glass that i thought was kind of creepy and sister muerte or sister death or whatever she's scarier than the demon like she's yeah honestly creepy man and she's cool like she's awesome really cool character but the demon itself is like whatever there's a part where 
uh, Vero's sister, her two little sisters and her little brother, uh, she's, like, dreaming and having a nightmare, and then they just start, like, biting her skin off. That part was pretty freaky. Yeah, I... I thought that was cool. There are definitely sections of this movie that worked for me, um... I like, like the little kid. The, oh, the little yeah, boy. He looks like brother. George Costanza. <laughs> yeah, George Costanza with the full head of hair. Yeah. That kid was good. He was uh, great. I thought that... I don't know if this is really a spoiler or not, but um, when Vero starts to try to... After she talks to Sister Death, and she hangs those like runes over her sister's bed on the pieces of paper, and she's like, these will protect you. And then you see like the shadow of the demon come up the walls and they light the pieces of paper on fire and it's yeah. like wow these are useless and like i need something more powerful than this i think that they did kind of a good job of showing that the demon was more powerful than you'd expect it to be and it was more than just a typical kind of ghost right. haunting but at the same time it never really did anything that was too visually interesting like yeah they lit the pieces of paper on fire but like other than that there wasn't, like, a scene where it, like, ripped a room apart or anything like that, you know? Like, there was nothing very visually striking about it in any way. Yeah, and the whole idea that her mom, like, only exclusively works at night. But then, sometimes in the movie, she works during the day. So, you never know what's going on with this lady. Like, I feel like you could find a different restaurant that isn't open at night. <laughs> I just look kind of a stupid gripe, but I don't know. It just didn't really work for me. I, I know it's inspired by a true story or whatever, but, like... It's a movie. You don't have to adhere entirely to a true story. Like, that aspect of it was kind of unbelievable to me. Yeah, and I don't, I don't know. I mean, I obviously I think they kind of did that in the movie to emphasize that, like, Vero was the head of the household. Yeah, so, the mom of the house. Yeah. And, uh, like I said, I kind of like that, the way that it turns that kind of power on its head in the sense where she becomes, like, the weak one. Instead of being yeah. like the head of the household, so it I thought that me of the Conjuring too, in some ways, like when they're all sleeping in the living room and stuff. I thought that was kind of funny. Or yeah, not funny, just kind of good. Yeah, but like at the same time, it was like you don't get any payoff like you do in Conjuring too. Like right. they have scenes where you think that something big is going to happen, and they start to do things that you're like, oh man, this is really going to piss off the demon, and it's going to do something crazy, and then it, it never everything that it does is basically off screen or in a dream sequence that lasts like a minute and a half. Like most of what happens on screen is just tension building to nothing. Yeah. And then in the last 10 minutes of the movie, that's when they decide to kick the plot into gear when they've been dragging their feet for over an hour. It's like I, the, the whole ending scene was just so quick. I didn't have time to appreciate it, you know? Yeah. And it really does feel like a quick... It is weird, like you said, where they drag their feet through the whole movie, and then at the very end, they're like, okay, let's do it, let's finish everything right now, and then let's just get to, like, how this is a true story, and this is what it looked like, and all this stuff. And it just, it felt like kind of a cheap ending. Like, it it was like a... It's so cheap. A very quick rising action to cut it off right at the climax. And to me, yeah, I didn't really feel very satisfied by the ending. I thought that all the acting was pretty good. I I liked the story for the most part, but I didn't think it was very scary. And I think that most of the enjoyment you get out of the movie is kind of the thinking about like how the characters would react to like these 
you know, external effects in in their daily yeah. life. And then they they introduce this plot point that like after the Ouija board seance thing, her it's supposed to be like that thing like where she loses all of her friends, you know, and her two best friends stop talking to her, but they they don't really explain why her friends are not talking to her. It's just fucking stupid. Like there's no reason for it. They're just like the next day at school, her friends are hanging out without her. It's like, okay, I get why you wanted that to be a thing, but they don't explain it very well at all. They don't yeah. give any reasoning for it. Yeah, and they do... <laughs> they, like, they explain it. They explain it in, like, one line, and then you read it, and you're like, that doesn't make any sense. Like, why would that do anything? <laughs> like, like, it's on Netflix, so if you want to watch a cool seance movie that's a little too long and has pretty decent acting and a cool blind nun watch it i guess i don't know it's like hard to recommend i don't understand why it's getting such good reviews honestly it's not yeah. very good i think sister death is like highly underused yeah she's barely in it she yeah. steals every scene she's in but still i'm looking yeah. up right now if you can hear my keyboard i'm trying to see what the user score is on um imdb yeah it is a 6.4 out of 10 which is like it's yeah kinda, that's kind of high i i don't know i think that's like pretty fair i mean that's like mediocre basically yeah and i mean i don't know it just feels like every positive review on here is pushing an agenda like remember that great horror movies come from outside of hollywood too it's like yeah that's true we talk about and we don't have anything against movies that aren't made here honestly because we watched i remember you which is that icelandic movie and that was pretty good i like that movie a lot yeah that was really interesting our friend of the show, Ryan Hollinger, often talks about British horror movies, and we really like those, too. It's just, this one, I feel like there's a lot of people just get saying it's amazing because it's from Spain. And I really like, I really like Wreck, and I like Wreck 2. I like this director a lot, I just, and I'm disappointed. <laughs> I'm disappointed in this movie because this isn't even close to the quality of that movie. Yeah, I was expecting something much scarier. I thought that it was going to be a little more intense than it was. And really, it's just... I mean, it's almost like a coming-of-age story, kind of a seance, Ouija story. It has a lot of kind of half-assed plot points in it, and nothing really feels fully fleshed out, in my opinion. Yeah, the half-assed plot point thing is really good. Like, it's a good point. I just... I don't know. I, I want to... It sucks. Whenever there's a movie like this that comes out where people start throwing around, this is the scariest movie ever, blah, blah, blah. Like, that doesn't help. Like, yes, it may have gotten some people to watch the movie, but then all you're doing is upsetting those people more. Like, if, if you're... I don't, I'm not accusing anyone of lying, but inflating what you say about movies never helps. And honestly, this movie is not... It's, it's a bad movie. <laughs> I don't think it's good. Yeah, I mean, I would say... I don't say want to defend it. Needlessly. I'd say it's just okay, basically. I, I, and it's not even really something I could recommend to, like, watch with your friends or something, because it's, you know, it's subtitled, so you have to read the whole time. It's not something you can, like, talk through, or... It doesn't really it's have just, any, like, yeah. super interesting yeah. moments that you're going to want to show off and be like, oh, this scene was really scary. And, like, you have to, like, you have to watch this, so... I don't know. I think it's something. It's a movie that, like you said earlier, is kind of hard to recommend. I think it's, it's on it's Netflix. So inconsistent. Yeah, I mean, it's like on for Netflix. Every good thing you just like, 
I don't know. Yeah. We can go back and forth all day on <laughs> every bad thing I have compares easily to something I have good about it. So. Yeah. I just think it's pretty overrated. And I mean, if you want to watch it, watch it. It's on Netflix. So, like, it's no skin off your nose, basically. But I didn't think it was that good. Yeah. And if you do end up watching it, you should let us know what you think, if, especially if you like it. I'd like to hear some legitimate arguments of why you think this is good but i think literally every single aspect of it has been done done before there's there's not a single original idea in this movie yeah and don't like part of me wants to come at it with the defense of they were adhering to a true story it's like the conjuring is supposedly adhering to a true story and it makes changes in the right ways to make it a scary movie like it understands what it is at the end of the day this this ghost stuff that this movie is probably based on probably didn't happen realistically so i feel like if you're gonna adapt a true story like this you should take the creative liberties you need to to make a better movie out of it you know like there's a difference it's not a documentary yeah basically all they do it's is they, yeah they take like the aftermath they take a crime scene and they build a story around it and not something that's very interesting so yeah i don't know so that was our review of Veronica, and if you watch the movie and you do like it, we we're, we don't have any ill will against you, obviously. We want people to like movies that they like, and there's no one right answer one way or the other. So we'd like to hear your opinions on it if you do end up liking it, so you should definitely let us know. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to be right back. George thought of this great segment three, where we can suggest movies that are similar to Veronica, but are actually good. So we'll be right back. All right, so we're back from our quick break, and, you know, Veronica got us thinking, we like the, you know, the subject matter of what it's based on, so we thought we'd pick out two movies that are actually good for you to check out and tell you why you should check them out. So I'll let you start, George, since this was your topic. Yeah, uh, this movie we've definitely talked about before on the show, but it's House of the Devil, directed by Ty West, and it's about a college-age girl who it wants to move out of her dorm room because her you know her uh, roommate is kind of not the best person to live with and she needs some cash so she picks up a babysitting job uh that's posted around campus and she goes to because to the house because you think it's gonna be easy money to just kind of babysit this person while the parents go out of town and they're going to give her like a couple hundred bucks and she can make the down payment on this house that she just rented but the longer she stays in the house the more unsettling things get and the creepier uh you know bigger plot unfolds and the last sort of the movie is you know really kind of terrifying and pulse pounding the whole way through so I i thought this was kind of similar to veronica in the way that uh it's also kind of based around that idea of demonic possession in a way and kind of the isolation of a girl alone in a house against these forces that are more powerful than her and i just thought i think this is just a really good movie in general and something that if you're in the mood for kind of a 
horror movie centralized around one main character, then this kind of fits the bill. Yeah, I definitely agree. And you know what's kind of funny? I'm on IMDb. It has the exact same user score as uh, Veronica. But I think what this movie does a lot better is that not only does it accurately portray itself in a certain time period, it's it, it's made in 2009, but honestly, if it's set, I think, in the 70s, it looks like a movie that was made in the 70s, which is uh, good. And also, there's a character that can be likened to Sister Death, and he's played by Tom Noonan. And it's Mr. Ullman. He's like the guy who owns the house. He's on par with Sister Death, I would say. But he has a lot more speaking roles and a lot more screen time. And this movie is paced so well. It's paced almost perfectly. Like, when it kicks off, you're not expecting it. The scene that kicks it off is still in my head from the first time I watched it. And I will never forget it. It's just, it comes out of nowhere. And it just instantly surprises you. And it just... It has the right kind of unsettling B-movie humor, but you can tell that it was written and not improvised, and it was written in a really good way. It's just it's just such a quality movie. It's really good. I love it. Yeah, I didn't think of that comparison uh, with The Sister Death, but you're, you're totally right, where there's kind of this uh, older, imposing character that kind of, in some way, guides the main character on their path. So that's that's interesting uh um, comparison to make that I didn't even think of, but yeah, I would say, and this is fucking bizarre. Did you know that the roommate is played by Greta Gerwig? No, <laughs> do you know I didn't who that know is that. the lady who directed Lady Bird? <laughs> oh, is it really? Yeah, that's crazy. That's really strange. <laughs> that's <laughs> awesome. So yeah, it has like an almost Best Picture winning director <laughs> in it. Yeah, I, I really hadn't didn't even think of that at all. I'm I'm on IMDb. I didn't know that. <laughs> but I I would say if you're in the mood for, you know, a horror movie that's centered around one main character and kind of the more isolated feel that ramps up over time to I think a a better conclusion than uh, than Veronica, then I would say I would definitely recommend House of the Devil. It has a great sense of time and place too. Like the house that it takes place in is awesome. It feels like it's straight out of the 70s. It reminds me, it feels like Clawson, Michigan. Like where, you it know, Union Woodshop is. It, it definitely does. It feels just like that. That's so cool. And yeah. It's just such a good movie. Definitely. And also, it, Dee Wallace is in it. Yeah. Which, like, she was in that Red Christmas movie, which is terrible. But uh, if you don't know who that is, she's in Cujo, E.T., and Critters. <laughs> <laughs> she's like an 80s uh, staple. So... If you haven't seen this movie, we've mentioned it so many times in the show. You probably have by now, but you can rent it anywhere. I highly recommend buying it because it just it deserves your money. It's really good. It's a movie that I would honestly give a 10 out of 10. Yeah, I think it's a near-perfect horror movie myself, and I think it hits all the boxes that it needs to. And it's really kind of one-of-a-kind in the sense that I think it's one of the best... I wouldn't call it a home invasion movie, but kind of a it's a satanic panic movie yeah like to its core definitely definitely that's 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 the best category to put it in i would think yeah and i it sucks that we're kind of out of this time like right after vhs when we got movies like the innkeepers and this it kind of ended in 2000 uh you know 2014 2015 with movies like we are still here it was just it was so cool to get all these movies with you know ty west aj bowen uh joe swanberg you know this crew of like awesome people making great horror movies 
that are underrated, but I think will be appreciated as time goes on. Yeah. And so oh, now... Remember Starry you, Eyes? Holy shit. Oh, Starry Eyes was great, too. And that came out even... What? That came out 2016? 2014. So oh. that was like in that time frame that I just said. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. that was definitely a great time for horror movies. Yeah. So, I mean, there's merits to like all these great theatrical movies we're getting, like Get Out and Split. You know, like these cool Blumhouse yeah. movies. But I liked these B movies. Yeah, I thought these kind of just... I missed them. Uh, just under the radar kind of they they're vod but they feel like higher quality than they should you know yeah i miss them george me too let's let's bring a movement let's bring him back yeah i feel like you know oh remember like i'm gonna get off track here remember <laughs> uh what was that movie called <laughs> late phases the one with the blind guy who had to fight off werewolves yes yes late phases was awesome <laughs> Yeah, like the oh man, we can make the best movie night list right now. <laughs> right, ready? The Sacrament. Oh, the uh, Sacrament! Oh my God. Uh, the Innkeepers. Yeah. We are still here. House of the Devil. Uh, what's that one? Your next. VHS one and two. Like these are all movies that are so underrated. The guest. Oh, the guest! Oh, the guest is amazing. Starry eyes. Inside the southbound. Candies, that's new. Southbound, really good. Man, you know, that was a good age for horror. Yeah, there's just this amazing like two or three years of these. Just <laughs> 2011 to 2014. Yeah, like golden. just under theaters level horror movies. Like they didn't go in theaters, but they were just VODs, and they were all amazing. Yeah, man. Can you? Oh, man. I want to see if we ever get to host a screening ever, like we get to pick the movie or something. I know they do that out here in LA all the time. Like they'll have, I think Shockwaves podcast does it where they get to host a screening. I would so love to host a screening of the House of the Devil because you know there's so many people out there who haven't seen it. Yeah, and it's truly amazing and yeah. definitely deserves your time and your money. I have it on Blu-ray. I'm looking at it right now. It feels like a lost sequel to the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, almost. It, it definitely feels like, if not a sequel, it could exist in the same universe. Yeah, definitely. Like, fuck, it's so good. All right, so we're going to bring the, the time frame up to the future. Well, the past for us, but the future for this movie. And I'm bringing a movie I've talked about a lot, The Evil Dead 2013, to the table. And as you will probably notice, it's another movie that has a female lead, just like House of the Devil. Uh, I think Evil Dead 2013 is really good, and... It's a great remake, not only, but it also is just a great movie overall. We talked about it last week. It has great practical effects, great plot, great characters, lots of blood raining from the sky, and it's just such a good movie. And there's a, you know, like there's a seance, but it's accidental, which makes it almost funnier. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. I, I don't really think there's more, much more I can say about this movie. I just wanted to, you know, really hit the nail on the head, drive it home, <laughs> that people need to watch it. I think it's a great adaptation because it takes not only um, kind of the, I mean, it takes some of the humor aspects of the Evil Dead series has always been kind of tongue-in-cheek. The first one, not so much, but definitely two and three kind of add a little bit of humor into the equation. And I think this does a great job of paying homage to the kind of spirit of the series 
in as a whole, but really kind of grounds it in more of a gritty horror setting more so like it brings it back to evil dead one horror level but it kind of also pulls in some of the fun of the other sequels in a way that i think is a really good mix yeah and it it uh hides ash in a really good way there's no ash in this movie but you think it's going to be one character for the entire movie no one's named ash is what i meant but there's one guy who you think is going to be ash like play the ash role and then they totally flip it on its head and it's it really got me the first time around and now when i see it i'm always like fuck yeah that's cool like that's just awesome big gripe with it takes place in michigan but is not shot in michigan and it came out in the time when people were getting a big tax break to shoot in michigan so they should have shot it in michigan is what i'm saying (laughs) yeah probably it would have been cool especially since like you know they would have shot it around like metamora michigan yeah definitely or like up in traverse city or over in holland there's so many good places to shoot in the woods in michigan (laughs) and like you know ruin me did that even though we didn't like that movie too much (laughs) it was shot in a great area yeah for sure muskegon could have shot this in muskegon The, the first one takes place in battle creek and it looks really good yeah so there's a lot of interesting merits about that movie that also i think the plot of that movie falls more in line with veronica where it's uh kind of a seance brings this evil in and they have to fight the evil it's kind of the same you know generic idea but Mm -hmm. it's it's pretty different in the way and how they handle it in the setting and storytelling characters all that but uh i think this is same same kind of spirit same idea but you know isolation and evil forces acting upon uh, a group of kids and but you know in a in a better way a more interesting way right so if you haven't seen evil dead 2013 go rent the unrated version on amazon you'll have a great time and uh that's that's what i'm bringing to the table i'm gonna throw a wild card into the mix a ouija one i think that is a perfect movie there are no flaws with a ouija one and everyone should watch the first Ouija because it's a perfect movie. It's not terrible. It's not like the worst horror movie in ten years or anything. What? You think Ouija 1 is the worst <laughs> horror movie in ten years? <laughs> like, without a doubt, Ouija 1 is one of the worst horror movies in ten years. What makes you think this? <laughs> You're so I'm, wrong. It's oh perfect. I don't even have time to explain how bad that movie is. I think if you watched a Ouija one and the Lazarus Project as a double feature, <laughs> God, you would summon the Evil Dead. You'd want the Evil Dead to come after you to end yourself after those two <laughs> after those two movies. And just so people are aware, I'm being completely sarcastic. Ouija <laughs> one is terrible. It's an awful, awful movie. And you know what? Compared to a Ouija one, Veronica is on par with the House of the Devil and <laughs> Evil Dead that's how bad it is <laughs> lazarus project just pisses me off because it has a perfect cast and they fucked it up yeah it does suck they could have done something way cooler with that yeah let me remind you listeners that donald glover olivia wilde and evan peters were in that movie and they somehow made a bad movie <sighs> i mean i don't know how but they did it yeah so at the end of the day veronica check it out if you got netflix house of the devil why haven't you seen this evil dead 2013 the perfect remake 
So that's the end of episode 20 of Fear Frequency. Uh, as always, I'm your host, Jimmy Champagne. You can follow the show at Fear Frequency on Twitter and Instagram. I highly recommend following the Instagram because we have a really active community over there. And, you know, they're just a lot of fun people. You can make some friends. Uh, but, yeah, you can find me at Jimmy Champagne and you can find George at George Rosard. That's all I got, though. So, George, bring us home. As always, come back next week for more horror news and reviews, and you never know who might be listening. <laughs>